This is episode 218 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are Faraday Cage, What It Is, Why You Need It, and How to Build One, and How to Build a Campfire with Wet Wood, Bushcraft Skills. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, did you know that you can make sure that you get the Prepper Website Podcast delivered to your preferred device without fail? We make it very easy for you to subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or any other favorite podcast network. And if you do feel you are receiving value from the podcast, we do appreciate your kind reviews. Hey everyone, welcome to the last podcast of 2017. Man, we've uh, we've had a great year and I'm very excited with the podcast and where we've come. And um, so I, if, if you'll hang tight with me, there's a couple of, before we get into the articles, I have a couple of things I want to talk about. But then at the very end, I want to follow up uh, the podcast with uh, a couple of things that just uh, on my heart and kind of talk a little bit about this year and then just end it out in a in a strong way. And hopefully uh, you'll hang with me all the way through to the end of the podcast because uh, I might talk about some things that I haven't ever talked about before. So one of the things that I do want to, to bring up is today there was a, a pretty historic vote at the UN. So the UN voted to condemn the United States uh, recognition of Jerusalem or the embassy moving to Jerusalem. And so Nikki Haley, uh, who is our ambassador to the UN, uh, she was, you know, she was pretty strong in the fact that, hey, we're watching who is, you know, going to vote against us here on this thing. And so she posted on Twitter uh, earlier in the day, the vote is in 65 countries refused to condemn the United States and 128 voted against us. Final vote tally to follow. And I mean, that's, you know, so they threw it out there. They're like, hey, we're watching to see who is going to uh, line up against us. And so what uh, President Trump has done is he's, he had a little press conference and he talked about, OK, these countries who have voted against us, that we're going to make sure that we're not we're not supporting them anymore. We're not sending them money through the U.N. anymore. And so, you know, the, the United States is probably I think we are the biggest supporter of the U.N. We, we hand the U.N. so much money and to go towards these specific countries. And Donald Trump was talking about, we're not going to do this anymore. We're giving them millions of dollars, and then they're going to line up against us, or they're going to vote against us. No, we're not doing that at all. And I think, I mean, for the people who put him, he is doing the things that, uh, I mean, he's doing what politicians, I guess, should do. The people that put him in office, the people who voted for him, they want to make sure, I mean, we have had so many years of politicians who say one thing and they go to they go to Washington and they don't do anything. He's going through with a lot of the things that he said he would do and and he doesn't have a problem with throwing it out there and and saying saying what a lot of us already feel and already think. And so a lot of us are already like, we shouldn't be giving these people any money. Why are we giving these people any, you know, there's just no way. They hate us. They don't, they don't care about us. They don't like us. I mean, there's nothing that we're going to do. You know, no amount of money is going to make them our friends. 
And so I thought that was pretty, pretty significant. And the reason, more than just the fact that, okay, these people don't need to be supported. We don't need to be handing them any money. Uh, You know, I always talk about keeping my eyes open and paying attention to what's out there. And one of the big, big things that kind of get my attention is when the world starts turning on the United States. And, of course, I'm coming from a biblical, pro- prophetic standpoint. If you, be- you look at prophecy, Bible prophecy, and you look at the way that uh, um, America is not in uh, the book of Revelation, or at least interpreted that way, I mean, there's some people that kind of force things and, and whatever, but for the most part, the United States is not in there. And so a lot of people are like, okay, so the United States is either you know destroyed or the United States is not a player anymore on the world scene or, or whatever. You know, how could that possibly be? We have the biggest economy economy right now. We have the biggest military, blah blah blah, and all those kinds of things. But when you hear something like this, you start to wonder, like, hey, uh, you know, the world hates us. The world is against us. It's very easy to see how. Uh, how you know America is not you know a player anymore. Maybe we do. We become more isolationist, and we say, "Hey, you know what? Forget the rest of the world. We're going to do our thing over here, and we're not worried about you know what's going on over there." Maybe that's the thing. Uh, I don't know. But when you know the world starts turning on us, that's one thing that I start paying attention to. So I just kind of wanted to bring that up. Uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up is Brian over on the Facebook group dropped an article. Uh, about President Trump, again, about President Trump uh, being the first president to protect the electric grid from EMP and cyber attacks. And so this is an, uh, an article on the, in the Washington Examiner, and it just talks a little bit about, about what, you know, what he's planning. And so it says, deep in his new national security strategy released this week, he made good on a campaign promise to move quickly to make the fixes that proponents have long called for. Two of the chief advocates, William R. Graham and Peter Vincent Pry, executives of the National First Congressional EMP Commission, said in a statement, President Trump understands, even if everyone in his administration does not, that strategic stability and long-standing strategic relationships with Russia or China are best maintained not by a policy of mutual vulnerability, but by a policy of peace through strength. Protecting the the nation from all missile threats and EMP should be the cornerstone of a peace through strength policy. So, uh, you know, I think that's great. It's, uh, you know, Brian on the Facebook group said it's a great start to to get us going and protecting the big infrastructure. The, The kinds of things that if there was an EMP then, you know, okay, so we have all the, the things, and we're going to talk a little bit about EMP here today, uh, but all, the, all the, the things and all the gadgets and all that kind of stuff, you know, the, you know that we have, you know, in our homes and, and cars and all that kind of stuff, that's one thing. And, and those things, you know, they would be a great loss to us. But the big, the big transformers, like the transformers that take up city blocks, um, they're not made here in America. So uh, one of the things people always say, they're made overseas like in China. And it, it takes months to make one of those and then to ship it all over here and then to get it set up 
And so, we, you know, if, if our electric grid fried for whatever reason, just replacing those big, big transformers, I'm not talking about the, the regular, the small transformers that are maybe outside your, your neighborhood or whatever. I'm talking about the really big ones. Uh, you know, it would be years and years and years before those would be able to be replaced. And so that's, you know, one of the things that they're talking about is protecting those big ones. Yeah, the lines might get fried and all those kinds of things. And, and yeah, those things might need to be replaced. But uh, that's a little bit easier to replace than these big, big transformers and the big infrastructure. So I think that's a, a great start. And hopefully that is, you know, that is something that the, the administration starts moving towards. Uh, it's been long, long overdue. And you can do it easily for little money uh, or compared to all the money that we spend on all these other things. So I guess take the money that we've been throwing to these idiots at the UN and bring that home and let's go ahead and uh, improve our infrastructure. So we take EMPs uh, out of the, you know, out of the, the game or at least the, the threat of years and years of being down uh, as, as opposed to, you know, maybe a year or whatever. It still, it still would, be, would be bad, but it'd be a lot easier than if we lost everything. So uh, good article over there. If you are not part of the Facebook group, I'm going to uh, invite you to come be a part of the Facebook group. You can come to the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Click on Facebook group or just go in your browser to AmoreSelfReliantLife.com. That's AmoreSelfReliantLife.com and that'll get you right over there. Click join and we'll get you right in there. You can be part of what's going on over there. I've always said I'm very proud of everybody that's uh, participating over there and how it's so welcoming to people regardless of where you are in your preparedness, whether that is uh, you're a newbie or you've been prepping for a while, you are definitely going to be welcome over there. Okay, so speaking of EMPs and, and all of that, our first article comes to us from skilledsurvival.com and the article is entitled Faraday Cage, What It Is, Why You Need It, and How to Build One. And so uh, Skilled Survival does a really great job of putting a lot of information into their uh, into their articles. They always include videos and and stuff that you can go and so you you are going to want to go check out this website just especially if uh, building a Far Faraday cage is one of those things that is on your list to do for preparedness and because uh, this uh, this article is filled with all kinds of great information so let's go ahead and jump right into this one uh, Faraday cage what it is why you need it and how to build one there are a handful of basic questions people have when they first hear about Faraday cages. What is a Faraday cage? Why should I care? How do I get my hands on one? What should I put in it? And do they work? You ask the first question because maybe you overheard someone else talking about one or it was mentioned in a news story or an article. You're not sure what all the hype is about and just want to know what it is. You ask the second question because once you know what it is, you're still confused why it matters to you. But once you fully understand why it matters, the very next question asked is, how do I get one? Followed by, what should I keep inside of it? So that's how I wrote this article, to answer all your Faraday cage questions and more. So we cover the following topics in great detail. What is a Faraday cage? Why you should get a Faraday cage? How to build a Faraday cage? What you should store in a Faraday cage? And Faraday cage myths and misinformation. 
The goal of this article is to bring you fully up to speed in everything Faraday cage from a survival and preparedness perspective. So, what is a Faraday cage? In simple terms, a Faraday cage is just an electronic isolation chamber. Or, even more simply, it's a special container that prevents electrical signals or waves from passing through it. A basic wave to think of a Faraday cage is it allows any electric pulses to go around the container. They work by enclosing a specific area in a layer of conductive material, usually a metal. This outer conductive layer, layer creates a protective skin. This then blocks electrical signals from passing through the box. Inside the enclosure, electronics are separated from the outer conductive skin. This is accomplished using a non-conductive insulator, such as cardboard, plastic, glass, or wood. These enclosures can be any size, large or small, so long as there's a complete layer of skin and any gaps are small and openings on the surface are closed. One of the best ways to understand how something works is to share a few examples of them out in the real world. Here are just a few of the uses for a Faraday cage. In the world of engineering, large versions of these Faraday isolation chambers are used. They help block any outside interference when designing and testing sophisticated electronic devices. Inside a Faraday cage, scientists can see how certain electrical devices react to the absence of other signals. It's used as a controlled vacuum for electrical testing purposes. These engineering Faraday cages also help determine if a device emits any unintentional or harmful radiation. For example, the antenna in your cell phone was likely tested in such a way. This was to ensure energy transmitted during use was safe for humans, to prove no energy was leaking at frequencies outside the cell phone spectrum. But the Faraday cage isn't just for lab settings and engineering facilities. In fact, you're likely used or passed through several of them today. The mesh screen in the window of your microwave is part of a Faraday cage. It contains the high-energy microwave radiation responsible for reheating your leftovers. And without a Faraday cage, this radiation would leak out, cooking the rest of your kitchen. Cell phone dead zones in some elevators are also unintentional Faraday cages. The metal elevator doors act as a conductive skin, thus blocking cell signals. And it's the reason you should remain in your car if a power line falls because the metal body of the vehicle itself acts as a Faraday cage. It directs dangerous electricity around the vehicle, allowing the energy to pass harmless, harmlessly into the ground, isolating and protecting the passengers inside. How about one more interesting example? In 2013, the Vatican used a Faraday cage to shield the Sistine Chapel. They wanted to prevent electronic eavesdropping during the selection of the new pope. So even if someone planted an electronic bug into the room, it, could send, it couldn't send a signal out to the world. So as you see, Faraday cages have some real-world applications. But why should you get a Faraday cage? Here's a quote from Albert Einstein. I do not know with what weapons World War III will be fought, but World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. There are many reasons a survivalist like yourself should build a Faraday cage. A well-constructed Faraday cage will give you sensitive electronics a layer of safety to protect them from damage or even to prevent signals from reaching others. Here are four great reasons to build and use a Faraday cage for survival and preparedness. Reason number one, prepare for a massive solar flare. A solar flare is an explosion on the surface of the sun. 
the occasional massive blasts produce a burst of electronic radiation, including X-rays. Scientists classify solar flares into three groups according to their X-ray strength. The strongest are X-class flares. These are significant events and can trigger radio blackouts around the world. M-class flares are medium-sized. They can cause brief radio blackouts that affect Earth's polar regions. C-class flares are small with few noticeable consequences here on Earth. It's not a matter of if the Earth will experience another strong X-class flare. It's a matter of when. A Faraday cage helps you prepare for the next massive X-class solar flare event, keeping some of your backup electronic devices safe. And so there's a, there's a video here, NASA X-class, a guide to solar flares. Definitely you want to go check that one out. Reason number two, prepare for an electro electromagnetic pulse attack, or EMP. The rise of nuclear powers around the world is growing, as well as the instability in global politics, which leads to rising concerns over the real possibility of a future nuclear attack. All nuclear explosions create an EMP blast, but some designs can cause a more significant EMP effect than immediate destruction. These designs are called High Altitude Electromagnetic Pulse, or EMP weapons. They explode high in the stratosphere, and they use the Earth's mag magnetic field to reflect and enhance the EMP effects. Watch the following two videos for a more detailed explanation about the threat of a large, widespread EMP attack. So there's a couple, uh, couple of videos here that you definitely want to go check out. And so that brings us to reason number three. Prevent cell phone tracking. I know it sounds like a plot of a spy movie, but nearly all modern cell phones are equipped with a GPS chip. From the newest smartphone all the way to the most basic flip phone, this feature gives you the ability to use your phone for navigation, but it also allows mobile providers information about your location, past and current. Authorities often share these location records during criminal investigations and also during search and rescue operations. This information is supposed to be stored for a limited time only, but it's unclear how long companies keep these location records. And it's also unclear who can request access to these re records. But if you block the cell signal to your phone, you also prevent the ability of the GPS to track your phone. A Faraday cage pouch, like the Stealth Anti-Signal Forensic Faraday bag, can keep your location and movement private from prying eyes. And there's a, there's a video here again, Faraday cell phone bags for information security, that you can uh, check that one out. So reason number four, prevent RFID skimming. These days, electronics are no longer limited to things with a battery, a wall plug, or an on and off switch. More of the cards in your wallets contain RFID security chips. These chips are designed to make mobile payments and verification easier. Unfortunately, the ease with which these, that information is shared is a double-edged sword. They also make it easier for criminals to scan the information from your credit card. And they can do this remotely while it's still in your wallet. But with an RFID Faraday cage wallet like this one from Access Denied, you block this criminal activity. If you'd rather not replace your entire wallet, you can use these RFID blocking safe wallet shields on your credit cards that have the chip. At the time of writing this article, you could get a free safe wallet shield when you cover the $2.95 shipping. Click here to see the deal is if the deal is available. And so there's a review of the RFID blocking uh, men bifold leather wallet by Access. All right, so the next section is how to build a Faraday cage. 
Now it's time to build your own Faraday cage at home using some very basic materials. I highly recommend watching each of these Faraday cage builds before you decide. Each one has some great ideas depending on how simple you want to go. The first video is the cheapest DIY Faraday cage I've ever seen. A cardboard box, towel, and aluminum foil. Now, where did I put my that was easy button? So there's a, a link here, or I'm sorry, a video here that you can check. Uh, this video shows you a more elegant DIY Faraday cage solution. However, it's still extremely easy and simple to build. They use a Berenz 10-gallon locking lid can as their metal conductive container, cardboard as their insulator, and some aluminum tape for the seams. And so, again, there's another video here that you can check out. Okay, take, that, take the previous video and make it even simpler. Done. And again, another video there. And as you can see, building a homemade Faraday cage is easy. You don't need a degree in electrical engineering to protect your electronic devices. You just need to follow these examples and stash a few spare electronic devices in your Faraday cage to protect your electronics from an EMP. But which electronic devices? Glad you asked. What should you store in your Faraday cage? I like to think about Faraday cages in three distinct categories. Home, vehicle, and carry. An at-home Faraday cage can be either large or small depending on how much stuff you want to add to it. In a home-sized Faraday cage, I highly recommend stashing the following devices. Communication devices. The most critical electronics you should put in a Faraday cage are communication devices. I recommend adding at least one set of local communication devices, also known as walkie-talkies, and one over-the-air type of radio. Will radio communication still be occurring after an EMP attack? Won't the EMP bus take down those communication lines and towers? Maybe yes, maybe no. It's hard to predict, as you'll learn below, no single blast can take down all electronics since each one is geared for a different frequency. So, I think the following devices are a good start for your home Faraday cage. The Cadio Pocket Radio. The main reason I like the Cadio Pocket Radio is it's so small. It's literally, it literally can fit in your pocket, so it won't take up much valuable real estate space in your Faraday cage. A Handcrank Solar Radio. The biggest downside of the Cato Pocket Radio is it takes batteries to power. So by adding a hand crank radio into your Faraday cage, you'll ensure you have a radio to gather intel no matter how long the grid may be down. Plus, it always makes sense to stash a backup AM-FM weather band radio just in case. A ham radio. This radio setup is more for advanced prepared survivalists. If you're into ham radio communication, and you should be, then it's imperative you add a portable ham radio to your Faraday cage. Consider this radio a spare since you want to keep it for a surprise EMP event. And really will likely get little to no warning of an actual EMP attack. A portable one is what you need if an EMP takes out your larger ham radio setup. Walkie talkies. I firmly believe in preparing with a coalition. Whether that's a survival group or just your local family, it doesn't matter. In emergency situations, having other people you can trust is essential. But you'll want a way to communicate with each other on a local scale. So each member of your emergency team should stash a spare set of walkie-talkies in their Faraday cage. That way, if the blast does take out most exposed communication devices, you'll still have your two-way radios, most won't have anything. Illumination devices. 
If the grid is down, your main source of nighttime illumination will be candles or flashlights. Candles work for a few days, but unless you stock up like crazy, you'll eventually run out. Plus, good luck moving around at night with candles. So, you should add some illumination gear to your Faraday cage. A tactical flashlight. And a tactical flashlight to your Faraday cage. This doesn't need to be an expensive one. A small single double A battery LED flashlight is ideal for this. The last thing you want to do is stash a $100 flashlight in there and then never get to use it. A headlamp. There are some tasks that a headlamp works a thousand times better than a flashlight. It's ideal for tasks that requires two hands. Without a good headlamp, your only options are to have someone hold the flashlight or try to prop the flashlight up. For me, stashing a headlamp is the way to go. Hunting related electronics. Night goggles are a powerful tool in a survival situation. However, they require power. So, if you want the advantage of using night vision goggles after an EMP event, then you best stash a pair in your Faraday cage. The same idea goes for high-powered rifle scopes. I'm not absolutely certain these electronics will be taken out in an EMP, but if your survival plan includes hunting, don't risk it. Spare rechargeable batteries, battery charger, solar charger. You add batteries to support your battery-powered devices. You also need a means to recharge batteries without using grid power. So get some rechargeable batteries, a battery charger, and a solar charger. Ideally, all your devices use the same size battery. The most common is the AA battery. So if you can match all your electronic devices to AA, you make your life a little bit easier. If not, you'll need spare batteries for each battery type. Now, you also need a solar charger to recharge your batteries. Then use your batteries to power your devices like your Kato radio, tactical flashlight, headlamp, etc. If you pair a Renegade solar charger with a few AA USB batteries, you can bypass the need for a battery charger. Just plug these new type of rechargeable batteries into your Renegade solar charger to recharge them. Note, your batteries will likely be fine after an EMP event outside a Faraday cage. So if space is limited in your Faraday cage, you can remove them. However, I always try to keep spare batteries for my gear with my gear. That way I know for a fact that I have what I need in my gear stash. So vehicle. Now if your at-home Faraday cage is not too large, you might be able to stash it in your, ve- in your vehicle. This works best if you always have your vehicle with you at work and at home. However, if you live in extremely cold climates, you may have to think about the electronics in those conditions. But in general, a glove box or underseat Faraday cage enclosure will provide enough space for a shielded spare radio and spare cell phone. This is a must because if your vehicle was disabled by a massive EMP or solar flare due to so many electronic parts, at a minimum you'll want to stash a spare communication system if you get stranded. So for carry, on the go you can use a smaller pouch Faraday cage like this stealth anti-signal forensic Faraday bag. This allows you to, to keep smaller items like your cell phone or personal radio protected. These can be small enough to be ideal as a piece of your bug out bag gear or a get home bag essential or even your jacket pocket. Plus, it's light enough to become part of your everyday carry. Police departments are now using them to protect electronic devices collected as evidence. At the smallest end of the spectrum are the RFID shielding Faraday cage wallets like this one from Access Denied, or even a simple RFID blocking credit card sleeve, like the RFID Safe Wallet Shield. 
These can help protect your credit card and banking information from mobile scanners. So now Faraday cage myths. Myth number one, they are too complicated to build yourself. People who look into Faraday cages get discouraged when they see professional installations, ones that seem impossible to reproduce at home. These cages often use expensive materials and highly intricate doors and openings. They help to reduce the chance of any signal transmission. At the very simplest, you can use any metal enclosure as a Faraday cage with some modification. Ammo cans, metal cabinets, steel lockers, and trash cans all work. Heck, even just several layers of heavy-duty aluminum foil can do the trick. Just by wrapping it carefully around a cardboard box, it can protect small devices. Myth number two. Chicken wire works as well as foil or metal boxes. Some discussions online say that using chicken wire as your Faraday cage, conductive metal works just as well as other options. This is not a good idea. Chicken wire provides much less EMP protection than even aluminum foil by a wide margin. See for yourself. And there's another video here you can check out. Myth number three, you can just use an ammo can without modifications. Ammo cans don't make great Faraday cages without some work. First off, ammo cans typically have a gasket around the lid to help create a good airtight seal. But the gasket is not a conductive material, so it creates a breach. This allows an EMP blast to penetrate the ammo can. You also have to deal with the hinges on the back side, which are also not an ideal conductive seal. If you want to use an ammo can, you'll either need to modify it or wrap the ammo can with several layers of foil or put the ammo can into another Faraday cage without these issues. And there's a video here on using the ammo can uh, Faraday cage uh, and it is busted. Myth number four, how Faraday cages actually work. There are several misconceptions about how a Faraday cage actually works. These misconceptions create several myths about Faraday cages such as Believing they can use a cell phone to test a Faraday cage doesn't work that way. That Faraday cages must be grounded, they do not. That a single EMP will take out all electrical devices. It won't because different nuclear solar EMP blasts have different frequencies. However, if an attacker used several blasts designed for different frequencies, it could do a larger range of damage. Or if an attacker focused solely on the grid, that would be devastating as well and that all modern vehicles will become paperweights after an attack. They won't. For more details on these misconceptions, watch the following video and pick up this fantastic educational book on EMPs. So the wrap up. Now that you're up to speed on Faraday cages, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to take action? When? I think you should take action right now because I should have, I could have, are just poor excuses when it's too late. Building a Faraday cage is simple, easy, and affordable. So no excuses. Get it done. All right. So I think this is, a, like I said, a, a long article, a lot of information. And when you take into account all the videos and everything, so it'll take you a little while to get through if you're, if you're going to go back and read it and get this information. But uh, I think it's well worth it if, you know, EMPs and solar flares uh, and, you know, wanting to build a Faraday cage is something for you. And, you know, running Prepper website, I know that whenever there's an EMP article or, or a solar flare article, I know that that's going to be a very popular article because, you know, the I guess the, the fictional world, of uh, the preparedness fictional world is, you know, out there uh, or fictional books, I want to say, uh, fiction genre has uh, really, you know, 
there's been some really big, heavy-hitting books out there that have really, uh, you know, in the preparedness world, everyone says you got to read one second after and, and, you know, lights out and those kinds of things. And and so, you know, that's that's the big one. Everyone hears that if an EMP goes off, forget it. We're back to the 1800s and everyone's going to die and, you know, you know only 10% of the population will live and, and blah, blah, blah and all that kind of stuff. So I think people are, are really concerned about EMP because, man, they don't want to lose their power. I mean, I don't want to lose my power. I mean, that would suck, man. Uh, really definitely would suck. And so uh, I think, you know, that's why EMP solar flare articles are some of the, the most popular. But again, like I said, um, you know, the, on the, the levels of probability, uh, you really need to think about, you know, we've talked about this recently on the podcast over and over again, is uh, you need to be thinking about the things that uh, can happen to you every single day, like, you know, being in a car accident or, you know, some kind of illness or job loss and all those kinds of things. We need to know about EMPs. We need to be prepared. Uh, even a solar flare at some point, we're gonna get we're gonna get a big solar flare. And so, depending on on the position of the Earth and and all of that, in which uh, you know which country is facing which which uh, continent is facing uh, the sun when it when it you know it hits us is gonna mean a whole whole lot there. And so, uh, you know, it, it's a good thing. I like the small Berenz ten gallon. Uh, Faraday cage uh, that they that they built here that the one that they show you uh, I've seen the big uh, big cans the big metal cans used and those might be just too much it might be uh, it might take up too much space in your house uh, or you know wherever you're going to keep it and so it just might be way too much you know I think that 10 gallon Berenz is is a is a good deal there so go check that out over at skillsurvival.com. I will have the link in the show notes, and you can go check out all the videos. Uh, a lot of good stuff here. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our next article of the podcast. This article comes to us from the survivalistblog.net, and uh, it's entitled, again, How to Build a Campfire with Wet Wood Bushcraft Skills. And a lot of good information here. So if uh, you are someone who uh, hasn't built a fire or maybe you've built fires under the best of conditions, and, and this is one that will go ahead and walk you through a little bit of that information of what you need to do if you are building a fire and the wood is wet. And I think they do a really great job here. So let's go ahead and, and read this one. Survival is all about being prepared for any scenario that comes your way. You should have protections against wildlife. You should have the necessary equipment for building a shelter. You should have extensive knowledge in hunting, trapping, and fishing, and many more important elements to stay alive. But if you are the, the especially motivated survivor, you will have prepared yourself for every possible climate, which not only indicates acquiring appropriate clothing and footwear, but learning the basics of fire making as well. Fire making is one of several bushcraft skills every survivor should have in their toolkit. Creating a source of heat during cold weather and all that it entails, snow, ice, frost, can make all the difference when sleeping through a potential blizzard. Many survivors know how to make a fire when the wood is dry and easily ignited, but making a fire with wood that is drenched by rain or snow can be a challenge. Being prepared for these scenarios means planning ahead learning necessary skills, and being eager to employ those skills during moments of intense pressure, like surviving in the woods. If you follow these important steps, starting a fire during wet season will be no problem. 
Prepping your pack. One of the most important things you can do to prepare yourself for any kind of scenario is have a well-established pack. Your pack should include everything from warm weather clothing to cold weather clothing, heavy-duty boots to sandals, sleeping equipment to cooking equipment, and so much more. All right, so let me just stop right there. Man, if you have all that in a pack, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, a lot of the times we'll t- you know, people will say in the preparedness community, as the seasons change, you should, you know, that's a time to go revisit your pack, whatever it might be. So if it's a bug out bag, you need to go ahead and revisit that. Now, the downside to that and one of the things where you would want to have everything there, I don't know about sandals and stuff like that, but uh, one of the reasons why you would want everything there is because if you bugged out and let's just say you never, uh, you you weren't coming back home or whatever, and so there's a bag for that you know, as well called an inch bag. I'm never coming home a bag. But let's just say you do bug out and, for instance, right now in um, in Houston, let's just say I had to bug out. It's it's 70 degrees out. So if I put a pack on and I have all cold weather gear in there, man, I'm going to burn up. I'm not going to be able to use that stuff. So but if I have a wide range of things that I can choose or if I'm, you know, if I have layers that I can use, then that's that's uh that's good to go. So uh you you really got to think about what uh how you're going to handle your pack. If you are in a place where it's just like extreme cold or extreme heat or you have all different kinds of things in between, you, know, you might look at it from a different point of view. All right, so moving on. The things that most survivors tend to forget are those which have to be prepared before being packed. These things typically include fresh batteries, fuel replacement, and tinder. Tinder is probably the most common and most important thing survivors forget to pack. Tinder refers to small, highly flammable material that help ignite kindling when preparing your fire. Tinder can be difficult to find in wet weather situations because many materials have been dampened, but it is something that can easily be prepared and packed. Some examples of tinder include cotton balls soaked in petroleum jelly, wax-coated wooden toothpicks, paper wood chippings, dryer lint, and other highly flammable compact items. Aside from tinder, another important element to remember for starting your fire is multiple styles of fire starter. This includes things like Bic lighters, being sure the fuel level is sufficient, fire steel rods, magnesium, matches, torches, and other combustible products. Tools for chopping wood and shaving branches will become necessary for wet weather fire making. You will need some kind of axe for splitting wood, a sharp knife for fraying kindling to make feather sticks, and an extra knife for scraping magnesium off or fire still. Finding a spot. The location at which you start your fire will make a huge difference in the amount of time your fire stays lit. Unfortunately for wet weather survivors, finding a dry place to build a flame can be nearly impossible. Luckily, starting a fire when it's wet can be made easier if you follow a few simple hacks. In your pack, you should have some kind of shovel. If not, use a stick and begin digging away at the wet soil to expose the drier soil below. Removing the top layers of damp earth will help create a basin for starting your fire and give your fire a dry place to burn longer. I also like to build small grills to start my fire by placing two large fairly wet logs about a foot from each other and laying soaked pine needles and other tree trimmings over it. The outer logs act as legs while the needles create a grate-like mechanism. This method allows your fire to burn above the wet soil or snow. 
A less labor-intensive option could be simply laying wet tree trimmings on the ground and slowly layering dry wood over the top. The dry wood will catch flame while the wet material beneath supports the fire. If you can find a spot that has some overhead cover, like the mouth of a cave, the base of a large evergreen, or inside a shelter you're built with your masterful skills, lighting a fire will become even easier. You will be more likely exposed to drier, drier earth and have a more feasible location for starting a fire and staying protected from the elements. Another little hack that has worked extremely well for me in the past is splitting logs in half to burn. Damp logs typically have very dry cores, so splitting the logs lengthwise helps expose the more flammable parts of the log. If you have a survival fort complete with a log splitter, consider doing this in advance and storing the split logs in a dry place. Having proper materials is probably the most important aspect of building a fire. You have to be sure your materials are flammable or your fire will never light. The hard part is locating these materials in the event of a blizzard or rainstorm when everything available to you is soaked. The best place to begin looking for dry materials in a wet world is under large evergreens and pine trees. At the base of these trees, there are typically dry, mostly dead branches still clinging to the tree, above the moisture on the ground. Use your knife or axe to remove these dry branches. If they are slight, still slightly moist, peel or cut away the outer layers of bark to expose the inner dry wood. Some dry trees have already fallen and made themselves easier to scavenge for flammable materials. Stay toward the top side of the tree, as the bottom side may be pretty wet. Use the dry bark, inner layers, and dead pine needles as tinder for your fire. If you happen to be near trees that drop pine cones, look for ones that are fairly dry and surely dead. Pine cones are an excellent kindling and actually burn quite hot, giving you a better opportunity to ignite the dry logs and make the fire blaze. There are about 101 different ways to set up a fire, but in cold weather scenarios, there are a few specific tricks that help your fire burn hotter, longer. For instance, the formation of the tinder and kindling is vital for creating a flame in a wet environment. I prefer to use the log cabin method, which is exactly what it sounds like. Similar to your Lincoln logs from childhood, arrange the kindling strips in a log cabin fashion, minus the roof. The tinder will fit nicely inside the home, and the fire will have plenty of oxygen to gain momentum. Another common style of lighting fires in moisture is the teepee style. Lean the kindling sticks against each other much like a teepee. The tinder will sit inside the kindling and ignite the larger sticks to make adding larger logs easier. The teepee shape also allows heat to rise naturally and gives the fire a better chance of burning tall. The inner pyro in all of us gets excited when it comes time to actually light the fire. This step is fairly self-explanatory, but there are a couple of tips and tricks to make this process faster and safer. Light your fire from the windward side, or the side that the wind is blowing into. The breeze will help shift the heat from the flame across the structure and will help fuel the fire with oxygen once it gets going. Light the tinder and kindling structure from the bottom. Heat rises, so starting from the bottom gives your fire a better chance of igniting. Trying to light your fire from the top, like a candle, will not do much good in your attempts to stay warm. Feeding your fire is a surprisingly meaningful duty. The amount of time you plan to have your fire going relies heavily on the amount of wood you collected in the earlier steps. 
Without dry logs to continue to feed your flame, your fire will surely burn out and you will surely freeze. Always be sure you have enough dry wood set aside for the amount of time you are in need of heat. If you plan to stay a whole night by the fire, have a large stack of logs waiting to be burned. If you are not alone, be sure to assign fire buddies, one person to take a sleep break and one person to watch the fire. An obvious but important reminder, only throw dry logs on the fire. Often wet weather fires aren't burning hot enough to truly burn through damp logs. Damp logs end up smothering the flame, making you start your process over, which is no fun. My favorite part of starting a fire is being done starting your fire, focusing on keeping it burning and enjoying the sights around you. Once you have a solid fire built, be sure to rest, relax, catch up on sleep, or roam the nearby wilderness in search of new landscapes to photograph. Being a survivor is more than just working to live. Once you have done your duty for the day, take in the world and sights that surround you. Enjoy your experience in nature and open your heart to the possibility of a world bigger than yourself. All right. So, guys, uh, you know, I always say that MD Creek Moore's community over there, it's a pretty pretty big community. So there's always lots of comments, a whole lot of comments here that you can go and uh, check out as, uh, as it deals with, deals with fire. So just a couple of things that I want to point out. Um, and, and probably have said them before in the past. When you're looking for, if you're in a cold situation, and I, I don't have experience from this as far as uh, going out and doing it, but just watching tons of videos from the past. Uh, when you know when I'm linking to Prepper website, uh, one of the guys that I, I love to watch is uh, Lonnie, who's up in Alaska, and uh, haven't haven't done much in his video. I haven't linked to his videos re- recently, but uh, I love watching his stuff. And uh, he has a couple of videos where he goes out and he makes a sideways fire. And uh, man, I, I'll see if I can find it and I'll put it in the show notes because it's such a such a cool fire. Uh, and he's got a lot of uh, a lot of feedback on it, you know, positive feedback. I think he did another one on top of that. But what he does is he goes and he finds a dead tree that is standing. And so he he cuts that tree down and he uses that wood. So, you know, it's snowing and it's snowing all around, but this tree is standing up and for the most part it is dry. And so that's what you're looking for. You're looking for stuff that's off the ground. You're looking for things that you can chop exactly like he said, if you're going to use a knife to baton the wood so that you're getting to that inner core, that that dry wood that's on the inside. And you might need to cut it more than just in half. You might need to cut it more, um, you know, more time so that you can have some good, uh, some good kindling to, to start your fire with. So one of the things that he didn't say is the, what I would do is in, in a wet situation like that is to um, put my put the other logs that are wet, put them around the fire. So as the fire gets going and it's roaring that, you know, it'll start to dry out. And so kind of keep them keep them kind of close. And, and I don't know if you've ever watched a video on it, but um, people have make reflectors for fires and. There's been some. There's been some. I know I've read articles on there that say that the reflector doesn't make a big difference, but uh, you know one of the things is, is the idea is that your fire will hit the wood and then reflect back to you, and so you'll get double the heat. It w- it won't or you, it stays closer to you. 
But anyway, you know, you might want to go ahead and do that with that wood um, and just kind of stack it, stack it up. It's going to, you know, create that reflector type, uh, you know, feel or whatever. But basically what you're doing is you're keeping the wood closer to you and closer to that fire so that the wood will dry out. So when you start adding, adding it, it won't uh, smother out the, the flame. And so that's one thing that you want to do. The other thing that you always hear about fires is gather what you think you'll need for the for the night and then after you think you're done go double that because there's always going to be you know wood you'll stack a bunch of wood and you think you'll be good but you'll burn through that really really quickly and uh you know you want to make sure that you have enough wood to last the night you don't want to go searching for wood in the middle of uh the forest when uh when when things are crazy dark and cold and, and rainy possibly so anyway that's a great article there are links here on this one and again the community over there there's 32 comments so you can go and you always learn a lot from the people that add the add comments over there at the survivalistblog.net and so uh, we'll link to that one as well you'll be able to to uh, get that in the show notes all right, guys. I said at the beginning of the podcast, I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the, you know, where we, where we started and where we're at. Um, 2017 has been a great year. I just wanted to do a little recap and, and share a little bit more from my heart. Um, we started in February 19. Uh, we started February 19th, 2017. Uh, that's that was our very first podcast, and we did a pilot just to kind of test everything out. And uh, I had done a pilot and was very excited about it and was ready to go and then after i started it i was i got really really freaked out i guess because i i I didn't want people to get upset that i was reading their articles on on a podcast without their permission now i i think that you know there's a probably there's there could have been a lot of ways that i I could have gotten around it i could have read some of it and then comment you know gave some commentary and i could have done that but i didn't feel like you know that that was right i wanted to kind of stay with the mission of prepper website and the mission of prepper website is to provide that great content but another thing is to also I, i guess it's kind of it's not stated in my mission statement but uh, another, another, you know, it's kind of there that I've always looked to and I've always felt believed in is to support the other preparedness websites that are out there and, uh, you know, to, to send the, the traffic to them and, and, you know, link to their great articles out there. And so, you know, we have, there's a lot of great uh, websites. I, I read a lot of them, you know, the, the bigger ones that maybe all of you are familiar with that I talk about on a regular basis. But there's there's newer ones as well that kind of start up, and uh, you know a lot of the times I love those because people are excited and they're they're writing and it's fresh and sometimes they come from new perspectives. So I'm always looking for those those new websites and and you know one of the things that's sad about that as well is there's there's websites that are always closing down uh, for whatever reason you know they just you know people get tired of writing and they don't renew their hosting and then then they they you know they go away and that that's really sad I mean actually there are some websites that I need to take down during my break to be able to uh, you know just to, to clear them up off of the website because I don't want them there if they're not if they're not active links, right? 
So anyway, I, I kind of freaked out a little bit. So I started contacting, you know, a lot of my friends in the preparedness community and said, hey, this is what I'm doing. I actually wrote up a letter, started sending it out. And overwhelmingly, everybody has said yes. I, there was only one uh, website that, that told me no, that I couldn't read their articles. And uh, I'm like, okay, I mean, that, that's cool. I totally understand that. Yeah, but everyone else has said yes. And I guess they know because I'm going to... I'm promoting their websites. I'm going, you know, I'm talking about their websites. I'm giving you their names. I'm linking to them uh, when I when I post the 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 episode uh, on social media. I always try to link to them on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, if they have social media on Facebook and Twitter, I always try to link to them. So I'm always trying to promote them. And so it really is a, a win-win for them. I get to uh, do the do the podcast and provide this information. And then uh, they get that blessing as well of, you know, getting their name out there and sending uh, traffic their way and, and that, that other link there. And so, uh, you know, I 218 episodes, man. That's just that's totally crazy. Uh, to to have done it, I've I've done uh, one every weekday or four every weekday, except for the two days uh, during Hurricane Harvey when we were down, and uh, that sucks because uh, it, it was a nice. I, I knew that I always ended the pod, or ended the week on uh, a multiple of five, right? It was either a five or a zero, but uh, Harvey kind of threw Harvey threw so many different things off. But uh, you know, I never wanted to start a podcast, and one of the I, I've had Prepper website for such a long time, and I would always see people, you know, people would start a podcast and and all those kinds of things, and I would link to them and I would listen to them. And they were great, and uh, but I just never felt like I needed to start a podcast. I never wanted to do that. Just the, the same reason why I never started forums, right? Uh, I know that there's still some forums out there, and there's still some that are pretty strong, uh, but I, I never felt like I wanted to really try to start a forum because it just it just what didn't feel like that was the place where I needed to put my energy at. You know, one of the one of the guys that I I listen to is Seth Godin, and he is uh, a marketing guy, and actually he's more than a marketing guy, he's just a, a thought leader out there. And it's uh, it's pretty scary when I listen to him because I come up with all kinds of ideas. I, I need to be careful. But uh, one of the things he said is, you know, you can't out Walmart Walmart, and he says he says that you know pretty often. If you are trying to start a business. And you want to just kind of like outperform Walmart by selling low. There's no way you're going to do it. They are bigger. They are smarter. They are stronger. They have all these people in their pockets. They're you know they they've got the market kind of cornered on that. If you if if you want to go up against you want to start your business and you want to go up against Walmart, then you need to have something different. It needs to be something totally different. And so when I thought about podcasts for myself, I never really felt I needed to go that way. But one of the things that I would always say is like, you can't out Jack Spierko, Jack Spierko. And, you know, he was the first one who uh, was really started in uh, the preparedness survivalist, uh, modern survivalist genre out there. And he's been doing it for such a such a long time, and he's got such a a, a big audience out there. And so I'm like, I, I, there's no way that I can do what he does. Now, there's a lot of other podcasts out there. They do great jobs. They have their own audience. They have their own following. They do a great job. And so uh, now it would be I can't ch- out Spirico Spirico. I can't out you know Doctor Bones and Nurse Amy. I mean you know they've got their their podcast. 
So, you know, it wasn't my idea to, to try to do a podcast completely at all. I didn't, I didn't want to do it. So, so Todd, why, why did you start it, right? Well, I, uh, I started picking up my own consumption of podcasts and, and audiobooks. I, I've always done that. But it's just like recently, I, I don't even listen to music anymore. It's like everything is podcasts, everything is audiobooks and those kinds of things. And so I just, I guess the more that I did that, I realized there wasn't something there for preppers other than, you know, the podcasts that were out there and other than the audiobooks that you can download. But as far as the articles that were there, there was nothing there that would translate an article. And I'm like, I'm seeing all this great content that people are putting out. All this great, all these great articles that are out there. All this great information. And, and it's just staying on the internet. It's, it's, there's no transference. Uh, it's not, it's not, you know, there's no podcast out there. It's not coming out to audio form. And so I really, you know, that kind of hit me and started thinking about that. And I'm like, man, um, you know, is this is this is an area where I think people could be helped with preparedness. I mean, there's people that aren't going to come to websites. They're not doing social media. They're just so busy, but they do listen to podcasts. And so I just I felt people were missing great content from uh, preparedness websites uh, out there. And so I I did pray about it for a while. I'm like, I don't need another thing. I don't want to do just another thing. And uh, you know tie myself to something. So I really did pray about it for a while uh, because I knew that if I was going to do it, that I, w- I wasn't going to just be doing it once a week or three times a week. I knew that if I, if I was going to do it, I needed to do it every single day in, in order to for the, the podcast to be successful. And so uh, I knew that I needed to go uh, after it that way. And so I did. I prayed about it and I really almost kind of wanted the Lord to say no, you know, because like I said, I didn't want to feel, uh, you know, I, I wanted that no to, to don't do it because I wanted to be able to just like, oh, well, I prayed about it and the Lord said no. But I felt like he said, yeah, go for it. And um, not, not, not in those words, but I just felt that peace to, to move forward. And um, I felt like I was supposed to. I felt like I was supposed to do this, and as I as I've done it more and more, I'm starting to feel like it's more of a calling, and not just something that I'm doing to promote Prepper website, and not something that I'm uh, I'm trying to promote a brand or anything like that. I truly feel like it, it's more of a calling, and so one of the things when I was getting started uh, here not too long ago, because I listened to all the, the the podcasts, I listened to some marketing, leadership, preparedness, I listened to all, you know, my, you know, Christian uh, preachers and, and all, all the different kind of podcasts. Everybody out there seems to be doing like a webinar every, or they're doing a webinar, they're doing some kind of program, they're, they have some kind of membership that they're doing. And I was like, you know what, and, you know, everyone's doing that. Why, why haven't I done it? I mean, there's, there's people that are, uh, that they're, are started in preparedness after I started and they're doing it and they're being successful. And I'm like, you know what, you know, I, I probably should do it. And so I came up with a program that I was going to, I mean, I wrote it out. I was ready to go. I actually bought material. I went out and bought materials. I was going to start videoing. It was going to be like a video, uh, half video, half, you know, whatever, um, type of, type of program. I had, I had it all planned out. 
And when I was getting ready that weekend, I had, like I said, I had the materials, I was ready to go, and then, uh, you know, I felt the Lord said, "No, don't, don't do that. That's not something that I, I want you to do." And so, uh, you know, I don't want you to focus on the profit. I don't want you to focus on, you know, trying to to make money. I don't want you that. That's not what it's all about. And so I'm like, "Wow, okay." So I have these materials, which. You know, I, I can still use those materials. I mean, it's not, you know, they're preparedness materials. So they're just part of the stockpile now. But, you know, that was that was a, a time where I just the Lord said no. So I'm like, all right, God, I, I guess I'm not going to I'm not going to move forward with that. So I didn't. Um, and, but there are costs to what what I do. There are costs to the website, to the podcast, to the hosting, to all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, uh the podcast. I want to keep the content that goes out as free as possible. And so, what you know, one of the things that you know, we sell advertisements, and uh, we we try not to be so obnoxious with advertisements that are out there. We try to you know make you know have them on the sidebar, those kinds of things. Um, so you know, we sell advertisements. So one thing that I would ask of you is. Uh, you know, support the advertisers on Prepper website, support the advertisers of the podcast. You know, I haven't, I haven't tried to monetize the podcast at all. Uh, you know, being at 218 episodes and, and, uh, you know, there is a following. I know that there is, you know, there's going to be so many downloads and I can go ahead and start doing that. I haven't really decided how to, you know, go about all that. So, um, you know, I'm trying to be very careful about that, but I really do want you know the the information that goes out, whether it is proper website, whether it's articles that are right on that matters, whether it is the podcast uh, or videos that I'm doing. I want them to be, I want it to be free, and I want people to be able to uh, to be blessed by that. And so, like I said, one of the things that I would ask you to do is if you would support our advertisers whenever they advertise. And the other thing that I would ask you to do is if you purchase on Amazon. Uh, if you if you make purchases through Amazon, if you would use our link, then we get a small percentage. It doesn't change um, the cost to you, and um, the, these costs are already built into the people selling them. And so uh, we get a little a little blessing, a little percentage back whenever you buy. So if you know, I have Amazon links on all my websites. Uh, you make it very easy for you. So you go there and click there and you go to Amazon and buy whatever you need to buy. And so, you know, that gets registered to Prepper website. And so that's uh, a big blessing. So that's one, you know, going into 2018, uh, like I said, this is the last podcast of the year. I'm going to take a little bit of a break. I almost wasn't going to do that, but uh, I am going to do a little bit. You know, some of the things um, that I've noticed is I'm, I'm, Working at this a little bit longer than I really wanted to in the evening times. I talked a little bit about that, but you know when I when I broke it to my wife that I was going to go ahead and start the, the podcast. You know I'm like, hey, don't worry, it's going to be like 30, 45 minutes worth of of, of actual you know podcast, and, and then I'm good. And, and I've done done a lot to try to make it easy on me. As far as like I make my graphics, my graphics are already, you know, I have templates and all those kinds of things. So I can very quickly, you know, put the uh, put the podcast on the podcast hosting and then, you know, get the website ready and, and link all that and do all that and, and make it very easy. 
But one of the things that I've noticed is that I am spending a little bit more time uh, editing, and uh, some some of the times I'm doing some more commentary. So the 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 podcast actually goes a little bit longer. So like this one's going really long uh, today. But uh, I'm doing a lot of editing. So as people have given me feedback, hey, Todd this and Todd that and those kinds of things, uh, you know, I've, I'm trying to make the podcast as, uh, you know, as, as strong as I can as far as the audio quality. I'm still playing around with it. I'm not an expert on all that. But I'm trying, uh, trying my best and probably spending a little bit too much time doing that. Um, so I really, I need your prayers on that. But, uh, you know, going into... 2018 we want to keep things the same you know i've got some different ideas as far as what i can do like um, possibly some things on facebook and things like that but i just kind of want to continue doing what we're doing and and providing that great content hopefully somewhere along the line you know the the podcast can make a little bit of money and so can uh, help to offset some of the costs that i have uh, that you know that I fork out every month, so um, you know that that would be a goal that I would have. You know somehow somehow that that would that would come around. So uh, keep me in your prayers as far as that goes. Uh, I'm looking forward to 2018. Looking forward to uh, to what we're, where we're headed. Uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm very blessed by all the people that have contacted me. But uh, I do appreciate all the feedback, and I do appreciate all the people that you know send in emails or hit me up on uh, social media or uh, you know write a review. The, the positive reviews, those are great. Negative reviews, <laughs> they suck. But you know that's you know that's part of the game. But the positive reviews are so so powerful, and I know that that does so much for uh, for the podcast, getting it out there especially in iTunes with the algorithms and stuff like that. So looking forward to keep moving or moving forward with 2018 and uh, looking forward to what, uh, you know, what's in store there and what the Lord has in store for the podcast. And so um, just really excited about that. I wanted to close out because it is the Christmas season and I wanted to close out with uh, a little story and just I wanted to share a couple of things with you. So if you uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to read from Luke chapter two, and I'm going to read uh, Luke chapter two starting in verse eight. So um, just hang tight with me if you don't mind. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in their fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news." of great joy that will be for all of the people. Today a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angel had left and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Great story, part of the Christmas story, you know, the shepherds out there. And a, a couple of things that I want to point out. 
the angel is out, you know, comes and shows up, and show is is in all of God's glory, right? And the shepherds, of course, they're there and uh, they're afraid, and that usually that, that always usually happens when someone who is uh, not holy, when someone who is sinful, when someone uh, this happens all throughout uh, the Bible. Uh, when they encounter something that is holy, an angel, they they become afraid because they realize, hey, I am un, I'm not worthy to be in the midst of this. But the the angel said, hey, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you great news. And all of a sudden, he was joined by the host of heaven, and they come out and sing glory to God in the highest. And you got to imagine what an awesome scene. That must have been to be able to see that. And when I think about that, it's very, I, I don't recall ever, and I might be off, I don't recall a time in the Bible where the host of heaven come and uh, leave, leave heaven and come to earth and, and sing like that. I mean, you have the story of uh, Jacob when he is fleeing, right? And uh, you have the the whole story of Jacob's ladder. If you're familiar with that, he uh, lays down and he sees a ladder and he sees the angels coming and going. And uh, you know he has that uh, that conversation with God. And then so you know you have that. But even at that, the angels weren't here on earth. He was seeing a vision of angels coming and going. But here with Jesus coming, his first coming, all heaven just like unloaded and and said man this is like the greatest thing this is so awesome we are leaving heaven and we are coming down to earth to see the you know the the son of god being born as a little baby because now everything is going to change everything is changing god is put in place his his plan and it, it's become evident, and this is going to change everything. And so the angels thought that it was such an awesome thing that they came in all of their glory and worshiped God and praised God, glory to God in the highest. And man, what an awesome scene that must have been. How awesome it must have been for the angels to come down and, and to, to perform that and to do that and to, and to sing that way. I just uh, I can imagine what it must have sounded like to the shepherds. A little bit further down in the Gospels, in the book of Matthew, we again see Jesus with the host of heaven. And so you don't see that again. I mean, you see Jesus in his glorified body. You see, you know, on the the Mount of Transfiguration, those kinds of things. But in, in this scene right here, Jesus is talking about, uh, he's talking about himself. And he's talking about the host of heaven coming with him. So in his first coming, the host of heaven exited out of heaven and said, Man, this is such a great thing that is happening. The Savior of the world is being born. In his second coming, they come with him as well. Now, they're not singing, but they think that this is such a great thing. They're coming with him and they're coming in power. And so I want to read that to you and just right here, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31, or starting with verse 31. And I'm reading out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible, if you're curious. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another 
Just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or without clothes, or sick, or in prison, and not help you? Then he will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Guys, today, right now, you have a choice on how you want to live. Jesus came in his first coming and all the angels thought it was a great idea. They unloaded heaven and they just sang praises. In his second coming, which... Man, by the way things are going, it's just like, it's got to be soon. All the angels are going to be there as well. And I'm sure they're going to be singing as well, but they're coming in power. Jesus is coming in power and might. He's not coming as a, a little baby like he did the first time around. He is coming as a conquering king. And you have a choice right now on how you live. You have a choice on, on what kind of difference you can make. And so we prepare, we do all those kinds of things, but there's even a bigger preparedness that we should have in place because all the preparedness in the world means nothing if you are not prepared spiritually. So I pray that this season, I pray that this time as we lead into 2018, will you'll be able to take a little bit of time to you know think about your goals for 2018 and put some things in place and and have time with family and all that good stuff but i hope and pray that you would take a little bit of time to check your spiritual life and say hey am i right with god because the second time around when he comes he's going to separate the sheep and the goat those that are righteous and those that are not. Those that are righteous go to eternal life. Those that are not go to eternal damnation. You know, fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell wasn't prepared for us. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But those that follow that way will go that way. And so, yeah, I hope you get a little bit of time to uh, to prep your spiritual life. And hopefully you keep that prep where it's supposed to be number one always. Going out of 2017, going into 2018, I believe that it can be the best year uh, that that you've ever encountered in your preparedness with your family, with your, you know, with all of that. But hopefully more importantly, spiritually, that's the most important thing. That's got to be number one. 
So guys, that's it for the last episode of 2017, episode 218. Guys, I would love to connect with you uh, because I'm not going to be coming to you on the podcast, uh, you know, till till January. Uh, I would love to connect with you on Facebook. Uh, come to our group. I'd love to have you over there, but I'd like to connect with you through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That way, uh, you can always send me an email. I'd love to hear from you that way as well. But uh, man, I just wish you all the best. Uh, I wish that you know you you have everything that you are, are desiring, everything that you are focusing on. I hope that that comes true for you in 2018, and I hope that you uh, we can do it together. I hope that we can journey together in this uh, in preparedness and uh, in our faith as well, because that for me that's the most important thing that drives everything else. Right? That for me that's that's it. So with that, choose to live a more self reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until next year, stay prepped and aware. Peace.